Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with another episode of our Ecom show and uh, today I'm here with Paul Cunningham. He's the founder of Notch Gear, an apparel company from the US and uh, today we will talk about his journey, how he's been building this business, his biggest challenges as well. Before we start, I want to give a shout out to one of our ex-clients, which is uh, High Dive Apparel and High Dive Apparel is actually a really similar fashion business, but they are based in the UK and uh, we have a case study on our website with them. Basically, we helped them set up their email marketing, which generated a six-figure amount of extra revenue for the store. So check out the case study who is interested in the fashion and upper world. This show is sponsored by Budai Media. Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to thebudaimedia.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us. Hey, Paul, it's good to have you here after the short intro. How are you today? Thanks, Daniel. It's good to be here. I'm doing really well. I'm excited to be here. So, Paul, uh, how did you end up in e-commerce? And back then when you launched this business, why did you pick this niche, not something else? Sure. So I had always wanted to have a utility patent for a product. Even years ago, when my wife and I were first married, she bought a book for me called The Inventor's Desktop Companion. And, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of people had ideas, but never really did anything with them. And about 13 years ago, 12 years ago, I was sitting on golf uh, on the couch one Sunday watching golf. And I had always had an issue with wearing my baseball cap and my sunglasses together because I like to wear a curved brim cap and the brim would push my glasses down onto my nose and it would be uncomfortable. So I would either wear my hat or sunglasses or if I wore both, I would turn my hat backwards because of that interference. And it had just always been a pain point for me. So I'm sitting on the couch watching golf one Sunday and I see a golfer with his hat cocked back because it's hitting his glasses. So I just, the idea popped into my head. Why doesn't someone just notch out the bill and make some space for the glasses? So I jumped off the couch and I got one of my Titleist hats and a pair of scissors and I made my first prototype. And I was like, holy cow, that works. So long story short, we did a bunch of research and didn't see anything like that out there. So we ended up taking the product to market. We also got a utility patent for it. It issued a couple of years after we started. We just sort of by default um, thought this would be a good opportunity to have an e-commerce business. It'd be a, a natural fit for that type of platform. And so we launched, I think, with five styles back in 2013. Mm-hmm. And that's how we started. So it was nine years ago. And have you thought about uh, being on Amazon or maybe doing retail or any other channels? Are you on Shopify now or something else? Yeah, we're on Shopify Plus. Uh, we started out on a Another platform and we're with them for probably about seven years, but we just replatformed in 2020. We were on Amazon for really since 2013 up until early 2021. And just in our experience, it just wasn't quite a good fit for us in terms of what our goals were. We wanted to have a little more autonomy, a little more control over the returns process and customer service process. So we made the decision to take the products off Amazon early last year. And I think one of the things that makes our product unique is because we have a utility patent, it's not like a lot of Amazon sellers where you're one of maybe a hundred or a thousand trying to sell us the same or similar product. We were the only one on Amazon with our product. So we feel like the people that were buying on Amazon, they saw us somewhere. So if they don't find it on Amazon, they're going to search and find on the website and and purchase from there. We do actually have a wholesale program. We have a number of retailers here in the US and around the world. We have dealers in, in Japan, Thailand, South Korea, Europe. We have, you know, UK, Greece, 
Germany, Spain. So we have some retailers in different parts of the world and different parts of the country where we have a wholesale program that we sell to as well. And regarding revenue, still uh, the Shopify store is the it's the biggest uh, source of income or uh, or retail. Yeah, it's uh, the Shopify. So we handle all the wholesale business through our Shopify store as well. We mm-hmm. don't use their wholesale channel. We did we had a developer do some some programming on the back end that allows us just to sell, you know, have a front-facing wholesale store to our wholesalers. But um all of our business is done through Shopify Plus. 100% of it and probably 70% is direct to consumer and the other 30% is our is our wholesale side. Yeah, and I totally agree with the Amazon thing that I I also talked to a few brands who are big on uh, Amazon or Walmart and they have hard times to control the relationship with the customers, mm-hmm. but obviously there are other advantages and I also talked to many Shopify store owners where, you know, they share the same approach that you have about uh the subscriber base, the customers just owning the relationship with the customer basically yeah in the long term it allows us to have that customer data collect their email develop that relationship with them through our email program over the long term and it's just you know probably cost us a little bit on the front end when we when we made that switch but i think in the long term it's a better plan for us can you see maybe an increase of returning customers after you left amazon that was about the same time we had replatformed so some of our data was lost in terms of you know that transition so it was hard for us to measure that really so i'm, I'm not sure we didn't really see i mean there was a very short term where we saw a bit of a drop off in revenue but within a month or two we were the same or better than we had been with amazon yeah. Amazon. So I think it was good. Yeah. So it was not a big drop for you, actually. No, no. And like I said, I think that's because there's only one place to find the product. So if they, you know, didn't find it there, they're going to come searching and, and would, would find our website. So in the last nine years or almost 10 years, what were the biggest learnings for you? The biggest challenges that you faced? Is it your Was it your first business when you started this or you did something else before? For the last 20 years, I've been actually a real estate agent. I sell okay. residential resale homes and that's what started sort of helped us to fund Notch at the beginning. And so I have a background in sales, but really it was more of a service business versus a product business. So completely different. I think some of the biggest challenges that we faced would be probably the getting the patent was a very challenging process. It took us almost five years to get the patent. Wow. Yeah, we were rejected four times and finally were able to get that to issue. And it was just a simple, in hindsight, it was a very simple sticking point that attorney didn't let us know about until later on. That was one. And then just learning this whole other side of business that we really hadn't had any background on before, marketing and, and running an e-commerce platform. Because I tell people all the time, it's one thing to have an online store with a product and it's a whole separate issue driving traffic to that site and getting people to convert. So people think, oh, I'll get a product and I'll put it online. And, you know, <laughs> they don't realize that there's zillions of websites, you know, competing for that consumer dollar. That part's very challenging as well. Yeah. My company, we have access to the uh, the list of Shopify stores. Shopify is probably the easiest platform to get started with because mm-hmm. there are or maybe WooCommerce as well, because I think that's even free. But uh, at this point, there are more than a million Shopify stores. And I think those who at least make seven figure a year, that's like 5% of them or maybe even less. So yeah, makes sense. I didn't realize, I didn't realize those numbers that they, that only 5% were seven figures and that there were a million stores. That's pretty amazing. I know one more stat. I think it's only about American businesses that 4% 4% of businesses, they hit seven figure. I think 0.3%, they hit eight figure. So that's like every 200th business or even less. Wow, wow. Yeah. 0.3%. You know, when you have these hardships every day in uh, your entrepreneur life, 
it's good to remind yourself of these statistics. Yeah, because sometimes yeah. you take for granted where you are. You 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 think, man, we should be further along, and you know why aren't we getting like this exponential growth? But for most people, that's not how it happens. It's just a slow progression over time. Yeah, I, I agree. Not everyone is Zuckerberg and <laughs> Jeff Bezos. So right, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. So I know you find it really important, the concept of social entrepreneurship. So what does it mean for you and how does it affect your uh, your decisions with the business? Yeah. So um, that's a great question. So my wife and I have been married this actually this weekend will be our 28th anniversary. So we're going to be getting away from Congrats. that. And um, we've always enjoyed giving. It's been just a part of what we've done and it brings us a lot of joy to do that. So when we started Notch, we wanted to use that opportunity to hopefully in the long term give on a scale that was bigger than we could do on our own. So when we started, we drew inspiration from a lot of companies in terms of social entrepreneurship and we wanted to make an impact from the very beginning. So we partnered with an organization called Children's Hunger Fund and they're pretty much rock stars in the charity world. They, for every $100 that you give, $99 makes it to the end user, which is really, really difficult for charities to reach that sort of you know metric. Yeah. We've changed the structure that we give with them, but since the beginning, every Notch Hat that we've sold has provided meals to kids in need. And uh, to date, we're at a we're at about 600,000 meals that we've provided through Children's Hunger Fund. And I just think that it's a good way to, what's the right word? It's kind of in vogue for companies to do that sort of thing. For us, it's not a marketing strategy. It's not a, you know, we're, we're not trying to attract business that way. It's just at our core, you know, who we are. You know, we wanted to do that and make a difference. And, you know, every day, 20,000 kids die of pre preventable disease and hunger, which is pretty staggering number. You know, there's so many different needs out there that you that people can and do give to, but we wanted to try to make a dent in that number. Um, so we, that's, you know, that's the charity that we chose and are honored that they would let us partner with them. It's been fun. Mm -hmm. And these the meals are distributed in the whole world, not just in the U.S., I think last time. Yes. Told yes. So actually, um, they they feed kids in the U.S. and around the world. We've chosen to have them, for the most part, go where the need is greatest. Uh, because while there is hunger and there's food insecurity in the U.S., you really don't find any statistics of people, you know, dying because they don't have food. So our thought is, it's sort of like triage, right? You know, let's treat the problem where it's the worst first. And once that once that problem gets taken care of and there are kids dying because they don't have enough to eat, then let's you know circle back and take care of the. the of the kids that aren't in danger of dying but are have hunger or have food insecurity and uh, i'm really curious to know at what point you started doing it from the beginning or you hit some point with your revenue and profits where you where you thought okay now i can do it more and right yeah we started at the very beginning with the very first notch hat we've sold and, and it's been every single hat since then even mm -hmm. though we weren't profitable at first we just wanted to make that commitment and just make it a part of the company you know just sort of uh woven into the fabric of of who we are yeah you made it as a habit part of the whole system and uh yeah you didn't wait for a certain number to hit or anything like that yeah. no we had people say hey you probably shouldn't do that you're not going to be profitable first and it's going to put a tax on the on the company but we just felt like it was important that's why i say it wasn't an add-on for us it was just you know it was a non-negotiable we're gonna do this mm -hmm. from the beginning whether it works out or not yeah because i actually i have the same thing uh in my company that uh, i also want to do something like something similar probably education of kids in mm. poor countries that's a thing that i'm passionate about mm. but uh some people they told me i shouldn't do it now maybe mm. later 
Mm. And their argument was that first you should have the oxygen mask on you. Once you have enough oxygen, you can can help others. And, right, uh, and that may be and that may be true for some companies. It, you know, it's not a one size fits all approach. Everybody has a different situation. But I would say even if it's within someone's ability to start smaller than you'd want to, do that little bit first, and then see how it feels, and you know, scale back. Yeah. Or, from there you know but that's yeah. a great cause yeah very very important cause i will think about it again because i prefer your approach <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about your staff your your team a bit so how many people do you have in your team now so we have five full-time employees and then my wife and i uh here at notch one of them is remote in pennsylvania she does all of our email marketing and a little bit of our you know social media stuff but for the most part she handles all of our email marketing and uh how do you get your uh, traffic? So maybe do you have a built-in community uh, somewhere? In the previous epi- episodes, I had uh, two food or, or supplement companies where they built uh, communities around the keto- ketogen diet, ketogen diet. Mm. And uh, people are really enthusiastic about it. And that's how they get the customers. You know, other brands, they use ad- paid ads or, or SEO. And what is your approach? On that. So we use a combination of paid ads, you know, Facebook, <clears throat> Instagram, uh, and then a lot of email marketing. We have a, a lot of customer affinity. So we have customers, you know, that will take pictures of their product and tag us and, you know, from all over the world. And so we'll try to leverage that as well. And we're always learning about how to engage a customer better in social media um, so that, mm-hmm. you know, we're not at the mercy of paid ads, but we do use quite a bit of uh, paid traffic. Do you have SEO as well? Uh, people search for this product because it's a unique product with a patent. So is it a thing as well or, or not really? We do have, um, we've done some SEO. We actually have that on our calendar to do some more. We also do some, you know, Google ads, Google shopping, that sort of thing. And But we have spent some time on the back end with SEO because we are getting more and more people that are just, you know, just organic traffic as they see someone on the yeah. street wearing their hat or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like uh, successful e-commerce businesses and stable businesses because you've been doing it for almost 10 years. Your traffic comes not just from one source because I can see so many guys doing only Facebook ads, for example, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. they, they are crashed. Uh, because of the new regulations, but yeah. you do multiple channels and uh, you also use email marketing, as you said, and uh, you nurture people and they come back to buy again. Yeah, we at the beginning, it was just Facebook ads, strictly Facebook ads. and But that was back with the, the cost per click and, and your conversion. It was so much less expensive at the time. Yeah, yeah. it was back but in 2013, right? Or 14. Something. Well, yeah, I don't think we started Facebook ads until 2015. Yeah, I and think Facebook ads, they rolled out, it rolled out around uh, 14, something like that, yes. 2014. Yeah, you know, it was great, but as soon as they didn't do good, your sales just would tank. So that's when I realized early on, okay, we can't have all our eggs in one basket. We have done a lot of it, but we're getting into the SMS marketing as well. That's, you know, a growing channel for us. So the email is yeah. nice because it's an own channel. You you can engage your customers how you want. And far and away, it's the most profitable marketing we do. But we also, as a consumer, I don't like getting emails every day from a brand. So we try, we're trying to find that sweet spot of hitting their inbox enough that they know that we're there and they want to engage with us, but not so much that they, you know, they get tired of us and want to unsubscribe. Yeah. How many do you send? How many campaigns do you send a week? Like three? Right now, about two. Yeah. Yeah. Two a week. Okay, that's actually mm-hmm. not many. We have the same experience with our clients. Like uh, some of them with bigger lists, we send five a week, six a week, and it's mm-hmm. completely fine. The numbers are okay because you know we also segment. So 
for VIP customers, we send five, six. But for majority of the people, we send three, two, or even one. Right. And then we have the laggers who, the dormant people who, you know, like twice a month, something like that. It really differs. But I, I know a brand, uh, Death Wish Coffee. It's a really good brand to follow. Mm -hmm. It's a US-based uh, coffee brand. And they also send only like two a week, I think not more. And I saw their uh, email flows. They have very simple flows, like three emails in one. For example, abandoned car flow, just three emails. That's it. Mm. Because other brands, they send you like, I think there is this store called uh, Fashion Nova, if you know it. And uh, they send, mm. I think on the week of Black Friday, they send like 30 a week. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan of it. And all of them, they were super, uh, the only person who sent more to my inbox was Donald Trump before the <laughs> so he, he was spamming you. There was a graph. Now we are very far from the original topic, but I will say this. So there was a graph which compared the number of emails for Trump, and uh, it was in 2016, I think. Mm -hmm. So not not the previous election. So it was Trump and probably Hillary Clinton. I don't know. I don't remember mm -hmm. who was the other uh, person, but. Uh, Trump sent out three times more emails and he won really? the elections. I don't say email decided elections, but I think it's one of the factors for sure. Could have had an impact. Yeah. Yeah. We're, and we're at first with the email marketing, we didn't segment at all. But uh, in the last year, we've gotten better at, you know, that learning, that segmentation, who to send what to. And, and we've just seen a very, very good trend in terms of response and, you know, traffic and conversions, the better we get at tweaking yeah. the messaging to the particular type of customer. Yeah, I think that's really important because uh, also if you send too many emails to the not not to the right people, you end up in spam. They don't open mm. your emails. Gmail just recently they strengthened their uh, their rules and their algorithm, so now mm. it's easier to get into spam. It happened mm. like two weeks ago. I have one more question to you, which is uh, about finding the right people in the team. Probably two more. Sorry, one sure. is a. Uh, Hiring? Like, how did you find these people? Our longest employee, her actual, her uh, sixth anniversary with us was yesterday. Okay. And uh, I found her because she worked at one of the local FedEx stores here in town. And at the time, we were much smaller. And like, if we had FedEx packages, I would just run them over to FedEx. Um, now we're big enough, we just get picked up every day. But at the time, I just thought she was, her customer service was great. She was always positive and very knowledgeable. And I just like dealing with her. And I would always tell my wife, if we get a chance to hire a customer service rep, mm -hmm. I want to hire her. And so we got, we grew to the point where we could and, and we... I asked her to interview and she did, and she's been with us for six years. So for us, you know, we've had some, you know, we haven't gotten it right all the time in terms of hiring. We've had some misfires there, but yeah. what I've learned is we need, we need to hire the right type of person and then we can train them for whatever we need. You can't teach personality. You yeah. need to have somebody that is just, you know, we're pretty low key. We don't yell or scream or get real upset around here. Pretty. I like to be even keel. And so we want people that are low drama, you know, they're committed to the team. They're going to be a team player. They're going to, they get along with people easily. So we look for those kinds of people and then we fit them into the positions that, that we think they'll best serve us. Yeah, makes sense. And my last question is, so you mentioned that your wife works in the business as well. And how has it been so far? I mean, because some people, they say it's really hard and you shouldn't do it. Others, they, I, I know, for example, a couple and both of them are doctors. They mm -hmm. sit in the same office 12 hours a day and uh, I couldn't imagine that. 
for myself. But. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, it's uh, it's interesting. So for many years of our marriage, she was a dental hygienist, not working full time, but working part time, and a stay at home mom with our two boys when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And I was full time real estate. So we had you know our our work days were completely separate for the most part. And then about probably five years ago, she came on to help Notch and almost full time really for for the majority of it. And of course, she's been involved in the, from the very beginning, but in a like show up every day and do a bunch of stuff capacity for the last five or six years. And of course, we did all of it together at home first. It was just me and her started out of our garage. So we had that part too. So it's introduced an interesting dynamic uh, into the relationship because we definitely don't see eye to eye on everything. A lot of times I'm learning to listen more and she's, she's learned to, you know, listen to me, but we've, but there've been times where it's hard because there's a business decision we need to make. And if we don't agree, you know, who do we go with? Like 99% of the situations I'm learning that she's right and I'm wrong, (laughs) but, um, Mm. This has a very good business mind and she's, and she tends to look at things. I'm more head in the clouds. Like, you know, I don't want to get down, bogged down in details and all that day-to-day stuff. Uh, and she's very good at that. So she okay. helps me have a more realistic view of, of things. She's more operational, basically. But I think because we had been married for so long before it started, we had a, that solid foundation and we, we knew what it was to be married and how to be married to each other and we, how to get through disagreements without things blowing up. And, you know, we've, just, we've gotten just even better at that with, with Notch. I will say that I don't know that as the company grows, the level of stress increases. So I don't know that we want to do that forever, but, uh, but right now that's where we are and, uh, and we're making it work. It's interesting. And there's a lot of great to it too, you know, but it's also hard to not bring it home and talk about it at home. So you got to try yeah. to be careful about that. Do you separate the two things, the, uh, the work and the rest of your life basically, or, or you don't really do it because we have one life and you know, yeah. Yeah, we don't really separate it <clears throat> too much. Sometimes we'll say, hey, okay, this day is, you know, this we're not going to work today. Invariably, the work spills over into our time at home and on the weekends and stuff comes up. So it sort of permeates all areas of your life. I, I have the same approach and how I do things, except yeah. when I go to holiday, but I don't do it often. So <laughs> you got to take that time off. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, you know, it's like once a quarter or something like that. Last right. week I was in Greece for four days, but uh, that was my holiday until now this year after Christmas. And, uh, you know, otherwise, as you said, it really permeates the days because you cannot stop thinking about it. Right. And I think that's fine. So, yeah, because it's yeah. your baby. It's like no one cares, yeah, about, yeah, it. No one cares right. about it. Yeah. Thanks, Paul, uh, sharing all of these. It was really interesting to hear. And uh, thanks everyone who listened to us today or later when the podcast is released. Every week we come out with a new episode, so stay tuned. We try to share interesting stories of e-commerce founders and marketers. And uh, yeah, thanks to everyone and have a great day.